The year is 61. Colossi is a small town, a bit of a backwater, having been rather famous. It's in what we would call today Western Turkey. There are Christians there, Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians, slave Christians, employer, master Christians, adult Christians, children Christians, are all in this local church in Colossae. And like many churches, the church in Colossae has run into some problems. Problems of false teachers, problems of people who use the same words as we use, but have a completely different meaning. Um, and people are getting a very skewed and distorted view of the Christian life. What does God expect of you? How do you make a success of the Christian life? If your Christian life goes wrong, well, what's the reason? If you, you can't get going in your Christian experience, why? Um, all these things Paul is now addressing as he writes this wonderful letter. He's greeted the church in this first chapter. He's told the church that he's praying for them, and Timothy as well. He's now told the church what he's praying for them. And as he gets to the end of that little bit, he starts talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is mentioned in verse 13, translated us or conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love, the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And then, and then, Paul reminds the Colossians who Christ is. Now, friends, is, is there something wrong with your Christian life? You feel it's not quite what it should be. You can't work it out, but you know it isn't really the Christian life that you should, you should have. What, what is the reason? What is the reason? It's always the same reason. If any Christian life goes wrong, it is always the same reason. You stopped contemplating Christ. And if your Christian life is going to be repaired and you're going to become the Christian that you should be, what must you do? You must contemplate Christ. If you're short of vitamin D, what do you do? Doctor, get out in the sunshine. If your Christian life isn't what, what it should be, what do you do? Get out in the sunshine. Look at Christ. Bathe in what the scriptures teach about the Lord Jesus Christ. If, if you're discouraged in your Christian life today, contemplate Christ. If you feel th the pressures of this world are, are too great, I don't think I can keep going. Contemplate Christ. It always is the answer. Uh, some people think, if my Christian life is in a mess, I'd better get my prayer life sorted out and I'd better get my Bible reading sorted out and I'd better get my witnessing sorted out. You can't have that sort of mechanical view of the Christian life. You can't, you can't, you can't. But if you contemplate Christ, you'll find that you have a new appetite for reading the scriptures. You'll find you'll have a new spirit of prayer. 
you'll find that you'll get opportunities, God-given opportunities, to speak about Christ. It will, it will happen. So Paul gets the Colossians with all their muddle and all their difficulty to contemplate Christ. Christ in relation to God. Christ in relation to creation. Christ in relation to the church. That's what happens in verses 15 to 18, which we are now going to look at. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. God in his essence. What is God in his essence? What does it, what does Godhood mean? What is Deity, what is it? How do you see it? How do you begin to grasp it? He is the image of the invisible God. Yes, God is eternal. He's infinite. He's unchanging. Because he is who he is, because of his essence, because of his deity, because of his godness. Those things are attributes of God, things you can say about God. But the innerness of God, how do you ever grasp any sight of that at all? Here I have a piece of paper. Here it is. You have to use your imagination. On this piece of paper, which is an A4 white piece of paper, is a pattern. I take this paper down to the shop that I know, which has the most sophisticated photocopying facilities in Europe. And I photocopy this piece of paper. Now then, I'll mix them up now. Can you tell which is which? This is the original. This is the photocopy. Everything that's on there is there. Nothing is missing. It is exactly a photocopy. Is God infinite? Christ is infinite. Is God eternal? Christ is eternal. Is God unchangeable? Christ is unchangeable. Is God invisible, eternal, and unchangeable in his being? then Christ is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being. Is God infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his holiness? Then Christ is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his holiness. And yet, is this piece of paper this piece of paper, 
Yes or no? No. Is God the Son, God the Father? Are there two gods? Come on now. Are there three gods? Are there three who are God? Are the three who are God one God? How do you see God? Now let's change the illustration. Here is a piece of paper. And on it is a pattern. Drawn on this piece of paper is everything that God is in invisible ink. I take it down to the shop that I know, which has the most sophisticated copying facilities in Europe. And do you know what they can do? They can photocopy the pattern written in invisible ink so it comes out visible. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten of the Father who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. He who has seen me has seen the Father. Question. Here's a, here's a verse from a hymn. Is it right, wrong, or partly right and partly wrong? Father of Jesus, love's reward, what rapture will it be? For How does it go on now? It, something before thy throne to lie and gaze and gaze on thee. Right or wrong? Partly right or partly wrong? Father of Jesus, love's reward, what rapture will it be? Prostrate to lie before thy throne and gaze and gaze on thee. It's right and it's wrong. In heaven, in heaven, do you hope to be there? Are you preparing? Will you see God the Father in heaven? And yet, will you see God the Father in heaven? Yes, through Jesus. You can't see God except in Christ, but when you contemplate Christ, you see God. He is the image of the invisible God. Is Jesus kind to sinners? God is kind to sinners. Just Jesus cross a lake to rescue one demon-possessed man because he cares about men who've messed up? God cares about men who've messed up. 
does Jesus cross the lake again to deal with one woman who has a hemorrhaging problem because he cares about women with all their problems? God cares for women with all their problems. Does Jesus walk into a little girl's bedroom and raise her from the dead because he cares about children? God cares about children. Does Jesus comfort his disciples in a storm because despite their unbelief, they're deeply precious to him? God cares about disciples, even if they've got a measure of unbelief, because he cares about them. Did Jesus die on a cross to save sinners? Yes. Because God the Father sent him, because his heart is burning with love for lost sinners. He is the image of the invisible God. Now, Paul moves on. He talks about Christ now in relation to creation. Let's read verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, not the first created, the firstborn over all creation. Question. Is the first to be born the firstborn? Sometimes. Can you think of any occasions where the first to be born was not the firstborn? Let's take a couple of examples. Isaac had two boys, Esau and Jacob. Who was the first to be born? Esau, who was the firstborn? Jacob, that's what all the fuss was about. And so, the covenant family through whom the Christ would come, the man with his family who kept alive the worship of God through the next generations was Jacob. But he was the second, but he was the firstborn but he was a special one. Forget football. I'm talking Bible here. Now then, Jacob had 12 boys. Who was the first to be born? Reuben. In Jacob's mind, who was the firstborn? In Jacob's mind? Joseph. But he was number 11. But in God's mind, who was the firstborn? Judah, and he was number four. <laughs> Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. Of everything that exists, nothing but nothing but nothing but nothing is so precious to God as his eternal son. For, Greek, in him, the factory in which everything was made, in him 
all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Is anything left out there? All things created in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible. Is anything left out? It's a stunning statement. Christ was not created because he's the image of the invisible God who's uncreated. But Christ is the factory in which, in whom, everything was created in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible. Now, visible is easy for us. You can walk down the road today, you can look at the hedges and feel the leaves, you can look at the sky and see the clouds, you can look down at your own body, and, which is fearfully and wonderfully made, and it all proclaims Christ. All things bright and beautiful, all creatures, he's good, isn't he? Great and small, all things wise and wonderful. The Lord God, the Lord Christ made them all. Now then, it's gone a bit. Each little flower that opens, each little bird that sings, he made their glowing colours. He made their tiny wings. It's a wonderful creation, you know. Everything proclaims Christ, everything that you can see. It's summertime, isn't it, coming up now? And the favourite for many people in summertime is ice cream. Which flavour is the world's favourite? Vanilla. Ah. Do you know that every ice cream proclaims Christ? And vanilla ice cream in a special way. Do you know that? It was Herman Cortes who was the first European to discover vanilla. He was visiting Mexico in the 1520s. He found this plant with these strange pods which gave a strange smell and the wonderful flavour to things. And he brought them back to Europe and planted them and they grew. And every year the flowers came and died and the flowers came and died and Herman Cortes died. And he never saw a vanilla plant in Europe with a pod on it. Poor man. He brought them back so he could enjoy vanilla for the rest of his life, poor fella. And it didn't happen. And generation after generation went by until 1836. That's 300 years of vanilla plants in Europe and not a single ice cream. <laughs> and then we get... Charles Corrin, who goes to Mexico, to find out why he finds that the vanilla plant can only be pollinated one morning a year. 
No insect can pollinate it except one. The Meripola, Mexican Meripola bee. It flies into the flower, it enters, but there's a barrier in the way. But it lifts the little barrier up and crawls in. And one morning a year, each plant is pollinated by the bee and you enjoy the ice cream. Who made the vanilla plant? Who made the bee? The vanilla plant can't live on without the bee and the bee would have very little to eat without the vanilla plant. Wise and wonderful, it all proclaims Christ, you know. But there's an invisible world too. In, here we are in this room. In this room right now, why aren't the chairs all taking off and flying round? How come you're still on the same seat as you were when you came in? What's the explanation? Gravity. Can you see it? In this room right now, there is Radio 1, Radio 2, Radio 3, Radio 4, Radio 5, and uh, Radio City, and Radio Merseyside. And right now, in here. And there's BBC One and BBC Two and BBC Three and BBC Four and Channel Four and More Four and E4 and Talking Pictures and ITV One, Two, Three, just to show, or Four, so I'm not biased. And there's Wi-Fi and there's 4G and there's 3G and there's the influences of the galaxies sending beams through that window. Be careful where you sit. And all happening now. And shortly, some of you will sit down and watch the World Cup. I pity you, but you will. And it proclaims Christ. Because there will be no television, no radio, and no anything like that. If he had not made all things visible and invisible including the angels. And if we drew back the veil right now, we wouldn't have to leave our seat and we would see the seraphim and we would see the thrones and dominions and principalities and powers, all mentioned in verse 16, the various ranks of angels. We would see the archangel Michael. We would see Gabriel we would see all the heavenly hosts because there is a whole invisible world and Christ made it all. All things were created through him because he's the agent of the Father's work and for him. Everything is in Christ through Christ and for Christ. It's for his use. Which is why if there's any part of me and my life and any part of you and your life which is not devoted to Christ, you are a thief and a cheat. 
Verse 17, and he is before all things, just so you don't muddle him up with his creation. But what's this bit? And in him all things consist. What's that about? Would you like just to take your eyes off me for a moment and look down at your smallest finger and your smallest fingernail? Just for a moment. Yeah, had a good look at that. That is composed of millions of atoms. What? Yep, just that little thing there, composed of millions of atoms. What are atoms? Are they sort of ultra-miniature ball bearings, just little round things, and somehow or other, in this case, they make up a fingernail? Is the universe made up of tiny, 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 tiny little spheres? No. There's leptons. Electrons are leptons with their ch electric charge. There are quarks, which are arrangements of protons and neutrons in different patterns and in different numbers, forming a nucleus. And each atom, every single one, is a universe. Movement. Dynamism. Marvellous, isn't it? Absorbing energy, storing energy, emitting energy. It's all alive, if I can use that word, and moving. It's pulsating. It's powerful. There's an energy and a force at work in it. But what is that energy and what is that force? It is Christ, says Paul. Everything proclaims Christ. That's why it's an amazing thing. Our God contracted to a span incomprehensibly made man. A baby, an infant, a boy, an adolescent, a man, a carpenter, a preacher. A man upon a cross. A corpse. A resurrected saviour, an ascender, an interceder. It's extraordinary. Can you, can I, can you, can I even begin to imagine the humiliation involved when the eternal Son of God 
took to himself in addition a real human nature and was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary and born of her, yet without sin. Continuing to be what he always was, he became what he'd never been before and so was and is God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever. Christ in relation to creation, to God, Christ in relation to creation. Now, verse 18, Christ in relation to the church. And he is the head of the body. There's the head, there's the body. The body is united to the head. The life of the head is transmitted through the body. You're a Christian, you're a Christian. You are mystically, mysteriously, wonderfully, dynamically joined to Christ. You are in Christ. You are part of that body of which he is the head. The body is composed of all people who put their faith in Christ from the beginning of the world to the end of the world. That is the body, and Christ is the head of it all. But that body manifests itself, makes itself visible in local churches. There's the whole body, but just like a projector is a little picture which becomes big. A microcosm is a big thing which becomes small. So that whole body manifests itself in Colossae. That whole body manifests itself in Ephesus. That whole body manifests itself in Rome. That whole body manifests itself in Kaigurli. That whole body manifests itself in Liverpool. There's the body, and there's the body, the body, the body, the body, the body. That is this, and this is that. And Christ is the head of it. This Christ which is why no church officer or church committee can impose upon the Christian church any rule except what Christ himself has revealed. That's why you're not a Catholic. Because if the Pope is the head of the church, Christ can't be. And if Christ is the head of the church, the Pope can't be. And that's why you're not an Anglican. Because if Christ is the head of the church, the queen can't be. And if the queen's the head of the church, Christ can't be. Christ is the head of the body, the church. And as we shall find out one day, perhaps we're spared and we come to the end of this chapter, not today, we will find that that Christ actually inhabits the individual believer. And his presence 
is unveiled in a special way in the body of which he is the head, the church. He's the beginning of the church. He started it. He inhabits it. He saved it. He indwells it. He empowers it. He preserves it. And he'll bring it safely home to heaven. Because he's this Christ. He's the firstborn from the dead. I shall die if he doesn't come back first. And I shall rise. And you will die if he doesn't come back first. And you will rise. You will go into the river and come out the other side. But somebody's already gone into the river and come out the other side. And he's the senior. And the, it's only by virtue of him that we arrive there. This same Christ. He stands like this in relation to God. He stands like this in relation to creation. He stands like this in relation to the church. Verse 18. That in all things he may have the preeminence. Everything's created to display Christ. Everything exists for his use. The church is his. If you're a believer, you are his. That in all things he may have the preeminence. A Christian service is not one that you enjoy necessarily. I hope you will. A Christian service is not one necessarily where all the music is to everybody's liking. A Christian church is not a church at all in the, any meaningful sense unless the great impression you have after the meeting is Christ. A Christian life is abundant and free and wonderful and glorious if it contemplates Christ. But if it doesn't, it shrivels, becomes but the poorest, poorest, poorest thing relative to what it could be. The purpose of every sermon, the purpose of every Christian life, the purpose of the individual, the purpose of the family, the purpose of the church, the purpose of the state, the purpose of humanity is to glorify God in Christ. Let us pray. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I cannot attain it but oh Lord we pray help us to grasp a little and a little more and a little more and to fix our eyes upon Jesus who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of your majesty on high Fix, we pray, fix 
our gaze upon him. We pray it for his name's sake. Amen.